You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. If you have your copy of God's Word or your Bible app, grab that and let's go to Luke's Gospel today. Luke chapter 1. We've been in John's Gospel for a number of weeks, but today we're going to be in Matthew and Luke. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. There are stacks of Bibles on those tables in the back of the room. You can take one of those now or you can grab one on your way out of worship today. But that's our gift to you, no strings attached. And if you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? All Scripture is breathed out by God profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So listen carefully to these God's words to us. Luke chapter 1, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We all have uh, Christmas traditions, right? And uh, in my family, one of our traditions, this will come as no surprise to you, is we have a Christmas movie marathon. So we go around the family, we take turns, and each person picks a movie to watch, all within the theme of Christmas movies. Now, this might surprise you. I jokingly say that I only watch Rocky Four and Die Hard, but the truth is, we watch all the Christmas movies. We watch all the Christmas movies, even the ones that the boys and I just really can't stand, like I know this is going to disappoint you, White Christmas, man, I just can't do it. I just can't do it, but Jamie loves it. And then we watch the ones that Jamie despises, like one of my favorites, Jingle All the Way, starring that masterful thespian himself, Arnold Schwarzenegger. If you haven't seen it, you're missing out on Christmas, let me tell you. We watch all the Christmas movies. Now, this year we watched a new one, new to us at least. Maybe you've seen it. It's called The Man Who Invented Christmas. The Man Who Invented Christmas. Excellent family-friendly film. It's the backstory of how Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol. It's the story of his troubled life, how he was haunted by certain memories. It's the story of how the characters quite literally came to life right before his eyes. A Christmas Carol, the the subtitle is, is lesser known, A Ghost Story of Christmas. When Dickens wrote this book, this novella, it changed the way Great Britain thought about and celebrated Christmas in the 19th century. This story of the the spirits, I'm sure you're familiar with the plot, that covetous old sinner Ebenezer Scrooge, he's visited by three spirits, right, and thus he becomes a new man. But long before A Christmas Carol was written, long before it, Christmas was associated with spirits. In fact, we see it in the Gospels themselves. In Matthew and in Luke, it is spirits 
spiritual beings that are the heralds of the Christmas message. It's the angels who first share the good news of the birth of our Savior. Today, on our final Sunday of Advent, as we approach Christmas, I want us to look at the beginning of Matthew's gospel and the beginning of Luke's gospel, Matthew 1 and Luke 1 and 2. And here we will find these three spirit stories, three angelic encounters. They're fascinating. We're always most fascinated by the things that we least understand, right? The depth of the ocean, the vastness of space, the spiritual realm. We'll find these three spirit stories, these three angelic encounters. They're fascinating, and there's much, much for us to learn. First, let's begin with the encounter between the angel and Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So our first angelic encounter is between a named angel, Gabriel, and a very ordinary young woman named Mary, who is betrothed, we're told, to a man named Joseph. We'll learn more about Joseph in a moment. Now, depending on the translation of the Bible that you have before you this morning, it may say that they were engaged, betrothed or engaged. But engagement in these days was quite different from engagement today. Engagement in these days was legally binding. So when a couple was engaged, they were legally bound to one another. But for a period of one year, they would not yet celebrate the wedding or consummate the marriage. But at this stage, Mary and Joseph are bound to one another. Now Mary, presumably, is just going about her day. It's a normal day. It's a typical Tuesday in Nazareth. Now most biblical scholars believe that at this time, Mary was between 12 and 15 years old. She's a middle schooler. She's a teenager. So the typical Tuesday for Mary, what was she doing? She was probably making a video for TikTok. <laughs> she was posting something on her Instagram. She's taking the selfie and all of a sudden she sees an angel in the shot. Now put yourself in Mary's shoes. How would you have felt when suddenly this angel appears and this angel has a message? And the message is, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, grace. You have found grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The angel appears to Mary and says, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Now Mary, of course, is thinking, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel explains, this will be a miraculous conception. A miraculous conception to demonstrate that this is no ordinary child. This child is the son of the Most High. The son of God himself. God coming to the earth. The Son leaving His place in heaven and coming to the earth. So get this, people. The angel says to Mary, Mary, you are pregnant with God. Now Mary, she must have thought one of a couple of things. She must have either thought, this is insane, or I'm going to have a billion views on TikTok. 
And actually, if you read the full encounter, you'll see that Mary goes through a range of responses, including doubt. She asks questions for a moment or two. She's skeptical. But in the end, she comes to a place of simple surrender. Now, I call it simple surrender because I don't think Mary fully understood everything. It's too fresh. It's too new. She must have still had questions. She's just received this visit from an angel. So it's a simple surrender, meaning she doesn't fully understand everything, and yet she expresses an eagerness to go wherever God leads her to go. See, the last words in this dialogue between the angel and Mary is Mary saying, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. She expresses an eagerness to follow the Lord, to serve the Lord, come what may. Now understand what this meant for Mary, a woman, a young woman living in a shame and honor culture. People were going to do the math. They were going to put two and two together here. They were going to know that Jesus was born. And they're going to track it back and say, okay, hang on, when did, when did Mary and Joseph get married here? They're going to do the math. This is a shame and honor culture which meant for the rest of her days, more than likely, Mary would be known as the mother of an illegitimate child. To say yes to God's plan here. It was to say yes to participating in the greatest thing imaginable, the redemption of the world. But it was also to say yes to embrace a life of disgrace and scorn. For Mary to carry the Christ child, it was to say yes to being used in such a powerful way. And it was to say yes to a life of unpopularity. My friends, the same is true for us. To carry the message of the Christ child to the world. It is to say yes to the greatest thing imaginable, participating in God's plan to redeem the planet. But it is also to say yes to a life of unpopularity, ridicule at times. There will be times when the world will not like us. They will not want to hear or see our message. To follow the Lord, it takes courage, you see. Courage was required of Mary. Courage is required of us. So let me ask you, where in your life at this moment are you failing to show that courage? Around what group of people do you lack courage? The courage to stand in love and in gentleness but in truth for what you believe. The courage to share the message of the Christ child, the Son of the Most High. Courage was required of Mary, it's required of us. That's the first spirit story, the first angelic encounter, the angel and Mary. The second one is the angel and Joseph. This one is in Matthew's Gospel, so we have to turn back a few pages in the New Testament. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So as we read this encounter in Matthew's Gospel, it's clear that Mary already knows she's pregnant. So the angel Gabriel has already appeared to Mary. The Gospels don't give us the details here, but what must have happened is that Mary then went and told Joseph the story. She must have gone to her betrothed and said, You're not going to believe this. I'm taking a selfie making a TikTok video, and all of a sudden I turn, there's an angel, and the angel says to me that I am pregnant, that this is a miraculous conception. 
Now, Joseph, when he hears the story, he only hears one word, and you know it. It's the word pregnant. It's all he hears. And at first, he doesn't believe the story. Can you blame him? Would you have believed the story? I don't think I would have. Joseph hears the word pregnant. Now, he knows that he hasn't been with Mary, so he draws the only logical conclusion. My betrothed has been unfaithful to me. To make matters worse, Joseph doesn't seem to have been like the average man in the Roman world. In the Roman culture, there was a double standard. Women, on the one hand, were expected to stay chaste, to remain virgins until they married. Men, on the other hand, well, as the saying goes, boys will be boys. And this was culturally acceptable. But for Joseph, he doesn't seem to have lived according to the cultural standards. He's described here in the biblical text as a just man, a righteous man, meaning that he lived according to God's standards, not the cultural standards. So Joseph appears to have been a man of purity. And now he thinks to himself, while I have been remaining pure for my bride, she has been unfaithful to me. And so he resolves to divorce Mary. Quietly, the text tells us. Now, he could have taken her to court. He could have humiliated her. But because he's a just and a righteous man, he doesn't want to do that. He has, however, decided, he's resolved that he will divorce her. In this moment, Joseph is hurting. He is a devastated man. He is heartbroken. And this is when God sends his angel in a dream to share with Joseph a message of healing. Here's what the angel says. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In his dream, Joseph sees the angel, and the angel confirms the story that Mary has already told him. This is a miraculous conception. And the first thing Joseph must have heard was, my marriage is saved. My betrothed has been faithful to me after all. My marriage has been saved. Oh, but there's something far greater going on in this story. It's not just that Joseph's marriage is saved. It's that this child, this child will be the savior of the world. This child will save his people from their sins. Now, when you hear that, I wonder what comes to your mind. Maybe you think to yourself, well, why do I need a Savior? Why do we need a Savior? Maybe you think that your life looks pretty good, and so this, this comment, it doesn't really strike you as relevant. In the same way that if I said, later today a painter is coming to your house, you might say to me, well, why do I need a painter? My house looks great. And maybe you hear this comment the same way. Why do I need a Savior? My life looks great. Let me help you understand that you and I both need a Savior, and here's why. It's because, in biblical terms, we are sinners. Well, here's the way I prefer to put it. We are rebels. We are rebels who have rejected the God who created us. 
Now, when we think about sin, more often than not, we tend to think of the bad things, right? The bad things that we might do. And perhaps that's why you look at your life and think to yourself, why do I need a Savior? My life looks pretty good on the outside. I avoid those bad things. I go to work on time. I treat my family nicely. I pay my taxes. I avoid the bad things. But here's what maybe you don't understand. Sin is not just doing the bad things. Sin is putting good things in the place of God. See, at its heart, all sin, all sin is the worship of created things rather than the creator. It's living for pursuing created things, good things, rather than God himself. And when we understand this, If we search our own hearts, we see, oh, I do pursue other things. I do pursue and love and cherish and chase other things. See, we're just like our first parents, Adam and Eve. They were prideful. They were prideful and so they rebelled. They turned away from God. They chased other things and we're just like them. We're just like them. We're sinners. And sinners need to be forgiven. So, we just ask God to forgive us, right? Wrong. Wrong. Because the Bible also teaches us that God is the holy and just judge. God is light. He is pure. And sin is a great darkness. A great darkness that destroys relationships. It destroys God's good creation. And therefore, it's detestable to God. And because He's just... He can't just sweep our sin, our rebellion under the rug. He can't shrug it off as if it never happened. No, sin must be exposed as the evil it is. And it must be dealt with justly. So it's not so simple as you and I, sinners, asking for forgiveness. No, not unless. Unless there is another. Another who comes and bears the penalty for our sin. Unless there is a substitute. That's the key word. Jesus, this Christ child, he is the one. He is our substitute. This Christ child grows into the man who lays down his life on the cross in our place for our sins. He is the substitute who bore the penalty for our sin. And now that sin has been dealt with justly, you see, now we can ask for forgiveness. Now the path to God, it has been opened. All because of Him. We are sinners and Jesus is our Savior. That's the gospel. That's the message that comes to Joseph. It's much more than Joseph, your marriage is saved. It's Joseph, the world. All who look to this child with faith, the world will be saved because of him of him there's the second angelic encounter we have one more we've seen mary and the angel joseph and the angel finally back to luke chapter 2 the shepherds the angel and the shepherds in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night now this encounter is actually after jesus has been born At the beginning of Luke 2, we have this scene where Jesus is born, and then suddenly, rather suddenly, the scene shifts to these these shepherds who are somewhere nearby, and they're out in the field. Now, shepherds, you need to know a bit about 
the shepherds in the ancient world to fully understand what's going on here in Luke chapter 2. If ever there was an outdoorsman, it was the shepherd. Practically lived outdoors, their field, that was where they worked, that was their home. They worked the night shift because that was when it was most important to protect the sheep. In today's terms, I guess we could say these shepherds are like the construction workers who repair our roads overnight. Hard workers, no doubt. Blue-collar men. Maybe a little rough around the edges. Probably had some stains in their clothes. Couple of tattoos. Cap, no doubt, would have had to say to them, language, language, guys. Rough guys, hard-working guys. So the question is this, why in the world does the good news of Jesus' birth come to these unpolished men? I mean, think about it. This is the first time the news of the Christ child comes to anyone outside of Jesus' family. And it's these men. Why? Don't you see? It's to show us what type of king has been born in Bethlehem. This Savior King, He comes for all people. Blue-collar and white-collar. Dark-skinned and light-skinned. Men and women, young and old, you name it. This child, He is good news for all people. That's exactly what the shepherds are told. The angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This child brings peace. Good news of great joy for all the people and news that brings peace. Now what exactly is meant by that? When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, it brings three related types of peace. The first is Godward peace. That's the most important and the one from which the other two flow. Jesus is the one who saves us from our sins, our substitute. You remember that all-important word? Substitute. By bearing the penalty for our sin, he opens the way to God the Father. So he brings us Godward peace. And from that flow two other types of peace. The second one we could call inward peace or peace of heart. See, each and every one of us, we have a longing within us, a longing for significance in life. We want to be someone. We want to feel significant in this life. One of the best illustrations of this comes from the movie Rocky. It's always a good time to watch Rocky. And in the original Rocky, go watch it, there's a scene where Adrian asks Rocky why it's so important for him to go the distance in the fight. And do you remember what he says? He says, Adrian, I must do it because then I'll know I'm not a bum. Then I'll know I'm not a bum. Now listen, the Italian stallion, he is teaching us something very important about life here. 
He's teaching us something about the human condition. We all want to show ourselves and show the world, I'm not a bum. I'm a somebody. I matter. We have this longing deep within our hearts. But here's the catch. That longing, it will never be satisfied. You will never feel that deep sense of significance until you rest in your relationship with God, the one who made you. See, it's God who made you the way you are. He's the one who gave you that longing for significance. He's the only one who can fulfill it. So it is only when you have Godward peace that you will have inward peace. But there's a third type of peace. Outward peace or peace with others. The gospel frees us. It frees us to live at peace with other people. And here's how it does so. Apart from the gospel, we tend to think too highly of ourselves and too lowly of other people. Apart from the gospel, we tend to think highly of ourselves and lowly of others. Let me prove it to you. When you have a coworker or someone who reports to you and you discover that they have told you a lie, you assign them a deadline, they miss it, they tell you they didn't know about it, but you know they knew about the deadline, they have lied to you, what's your gut reaction? What do you first think about that person? He's a liar. She's a liar. I know the truth. Now, what happens when you yourself tell a half-truth? Get caught in a little fib and someone confronts you. What do you say? Oh, I'm not a liar. No, it's more complex than that. It was a sticky situation, you see. Now, what have you done? You've just shown this. You think highly of yourself and lowly of others. The gospel frees us of the self-centeredness and self-righteousness that causes conflict with others. But only the gospel, you see, can do this because only the gospel shows us that we're all the same. We are all sinners in need of Jesus. We meet each other under the cross, you see. The gospel brings Godward peace, inward peace, peace of heart, and outward peace peace. It frees us from self-centeredness and self-righteousness. Now here's the last thing I want you to see in this passage. The gospel is good news of great joy and it's great joy for all people. One of the most impressive thought-provoking things to me about this passage in Luke 2 is that everyone in this story is proclaiming. Everyone. The first angel, then there's an army of angels that appears. They're all proclaiming, and even the shepherds themselves proclaim the good news of the Christ child. Look at the way the account ends here. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. These shepherds, these blue-collar, very ordinary, uneducated men, with haste, they go to see Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And interestingly, Luke, the writer of the gospel, he doesn't really tell us anything about what they did when they first arrived there. How long did they stay, these shepherds? We don't know. Did they ask to hold the baby? We don't know. The emphasis is all on their proclamation. These shepherds are the first evangelists in Luke's gospel. They go out and they proclaim 
this good news. They see Jesus, and as soon as they do, they must tell someone, anyone, everyone. For those of you who have seen Jesus, you know him. You believe in him. Who is it that God has sovereignly placed in your path, in your neighborhood, at your workplace? Who is it that you see? This person is in my circle of influence and I can see that their life is full of conflict. Believers, don't you understand that you have what they need? You have the gospel. You have seen Jesus. You've seen the peace that he brings, Godward peace, inward, outward. You just need the courage to share it. So maybe today, young, teenage, middle school Mary, from that first encounter, maybe she can arm you with the words that you have not yet been able to find for yourself. Maybe she can arm you with those courageous words, I am the servant of the Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to his plan. The gospel is good news of great joy for all people. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we celebrate this good news of great joy, this good news of peace, we say thank you to you and you alone. Our hope, the way, the truth, the life. Jesus, thank you for leaving your place in heaven, coming to this earth for us. Jesus, thank you for being our substitute, bearing the penalty for our sin, our rebellion. We do not deserve your love. God, we deserve your wrath because we are guilty. But in your love, you chased us down. When we turned away, you chased us down. You came after us. You demonstrate your love by sending your Son, the Son of the Most High, the Savior of the world. This time of year especially, we celebrate this truth, the gospel, the very heart of Christianity. As we prepare our hearts to come to your table today, God, to celebrate communion, we remember all, Jesus, that you have done for us. We remember as well that we continue to sin. At times we lack courage. God, if we're honest, sometimes we just care far too much about what other people think of us. At times we are prideful, selfish. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood 
It covers all our sins. We cannot outsin your grace, God. We know this to be true because you declare it so in your word. And we trust you. So we come to this table today knowing that we are forgiven. Looking to Jesus, our crucified and risen Savior, and to him alone. In his name we pray. Amen.